Good morning. For those of you who I haven't had the privilege to meet yet, my name is Keith Brault, and I'm one of the pastors here at Incarnation, and I'm delighted to, to be opening God's Word with you this morning. We're going to be looking in particular at that passage that we heard read from Ephesians, and also that passage that we heard read from the book of Acts. As I've thought about these two passages together and what's happening as we see these two passages unfold. One is an epistle, it's a letter, part of a letter, and the other one is part of a narrative, Luke's narrative of, of how the church is spreading and taking on shape, and he's giving us almost a play-by-play of how this happens. Yesterday, I was blowing leaves, which for some of you maybe sounds obnoxious, you know, maybe you're old school and you like to rake. Um, and I used to like to rake, but I don't like to rake anymore. It's too much. Um, we live on, uh, where, where there's a lot of trees, it's a lot of property, and there's, it's wonderful to be able to get it done in three hours instead of um, four or five days. But as I was blowing leaves, um, you know, there are acorns and chestnuts everywhere, and I'm thinking, there's so much power in this little chestnut. I mean, it's packed with everything that's required to just be put in the ground and eventually take on shape and keep taking on shape year after year after year until it fills up all that God intended for it to fill up when he put all that information into that tiny little chestnut. And as we turn to these two texts, it's kind of like that. You think about Jesus when he was born and he was there was angels singing in Luke's gospel. And, you know, there's some, some hype to announce that, that this is a big deal. This isn't a normal birth. But yet at the same time, there's so much power packed into this person, and we don't see it take shape right away, do we? And even in the gospels, we, we hear Jesus regularly saying, don't say um, that you just saw this, or don't say that I just healed you of your leprosy, or, or even what we heard read today in the gospel when Peter says, you are the Christ. Jesus charges them, tamp this down. And, and, and in God's timing, as God continues to prepare people to receive and understand and rightly interpret what I'm doing and what I'm about, it will gradually take shape, and it will gradually fill up all that God intends it to fill up. But we've got to wait on him. And part of that was the disciples themselves being able to understand. Right after Peter's confession in the very next passage, Jesus says, this is what I have to do. I have to go to Jerusalem, and I have to suffer, and I have to be killed, and after three days I'll rise again. And Peter says, no way. And Jesus calls him Satan right after saying, On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So part of it is the disciples being brought along and developing along with um, Jesus' ongoing development as the Messiah. So there's all this power packed into this thing, and and we watch as it gradually expands and grows and fills up all that it's intended to fill up. In the Ephesians passage that we heard read, Paul describes God's power exerted to raise Jesus from the dead in one fell swoop. So 
So the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to heaven and seated him above every name that is named and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body that fills all in all. It's this amazing power exerted toward Jesus. But in that context, Paul's not primarily concerned with talking about God's power toward Jesus. He's using that to illustrate God's power toward you if you believe in Jesus. He wants you to know this power that's inside of you, this power that God has put into you. And he says it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him above all these authorities. And in the very next chapter, he says that you've been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places in order to do all the good works that God prepared for you to do. It's, it's beautiful and wonderful. If you think about yourself that way, that's the accurate way to think about yourself. Much more than a chestnut. God has put all of this power in you when he raised you with Christ from the dead and seated you with Christ at his right hand. And it's remarkable not just to think of that positioning and that power, but there's a purpose behind it, as there always is when God exerts his power toward any part of creation, including you. Listen to how Paul closes out that passage. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So God's purpose for Jesus is much more than a chestnut tree that fills up this tiny little corner of creation somewhere across the mountain in Ivy, Virginia. It's a tiny little thing. God's intention for Jesus is that he would fill all in all, that Jesus would fill up the whole world. And here it says that you're part of that. If you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, then you're part of his body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. God's intention with Jesus is that his kingdom and his reign, his salvation, his peace, his reconciliation, his healing, his justice, his mercy, that that would permeate all of creation. And how does he do that? Jesus is in heaven, and he sent his spirit, but he hasn't sent his spirit as an abstracted force. He sent his spirit into you and me and to everyone who believes in Jesus, and together we make up this body. According to Paul, incarnation is a pretty good name for a church, right? I mean, that's what we are. We're the incarnation of Jesus. We're the way that he fills all in all. This power that's in you, that's coursing through you, that's holding you fast and animating you to do the good works that God prepared for you to do as part of a local church, but also um, as part of a greater community. That's how Jesus accomplishes what the Father set him forth to do, ultimately, which is to fill all in all. So that is you, and that is me. That is every part of his body, strengthened by the power of his Holy Spirit in working together in harmony, that we are the body of Christ.
as we turn to our reading in Acts, Luke shows how this body in real time is taking shape. It starts out as a thing um, when Jesus was here, and then we get to Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter goes and preaches, and now there are thousands of people instead of 120 or so in an upper room praying and reading scriptures and waiting on the Lord as he commanded them to do until they're clothed with power on high from on high. That happens, and now this church is this big organism, and it grows and expands and changes and takes on more shape as the needs emerge, as the church is diversified and as the needs of the church are diversified and as needs in the community are seen and known and brought to the attention that need to be interpreted to the church. One part can't do that. The apostles can't do all of that. And so what happens? We see the body taking shape just as, um, as we got to see Nate and Rachel's baby just a moment ago held up. She didn't always look like that. Josie didn't always look like that. She didn't always have fingernails, right? She didn't always have lips and eyelids. She used to just be this tiny little thing. Um, and, and, and eventually she grew and took on shape, and now here she is. And we get to kind of see that play out in the book of Acts when it comes to the church. The church didn't just emerge as a fully orbed thing. And so... As we turn our attention to Acts, Luke shows us how the body of Christ took on sinew and limbs in real time in order that it might reach all of the things that Jesus intends to reach, which is surely the proclamation of the word that was happening, but there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that in Jesus' ministry as we read in the Gospels, and there's more to it here. So the apostles are preaching the word, but what about seeing to the practical needs of a growing, diverse community? Can one type of person do everything? Can they plant churches and go to jail for preaching and minister to the poor, look after widows? And the answer here as we come to Acts chapter 6 is no, we need every part of the body functioning as the Holy Spirit has gifted and appointed us in order that all of Christ's priorities might be met, in order that he might fill all in all. So who is going to interpret the needs of these widows to the church? And who's going to interpret the needs of the world to the church? If you have your Bible, look again at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greek. So there are two congregations at least in Jerusalem. There's the Jewish kind of um, local high up the candlestick synagogue of the people that were born into, into Judaism. And, and that's kind of, they spoke Hebrew. They probably spoke other languages that were indigenous Around there, maybe some of them spoke Aramaic. And then you've got people that have come from outside of Jerusalem, either proselytes or people that were scattered and have relocated back to Jerusalem. But they're Greek-speaking. And, so, uh, and so their synagogue set up to accommodate all these different kinds of people. And a complaint by one of these immigrant synagogues arose against the Hebrews 
because their widows, the Hebrews' widows, were being, or the, I'm sorry, the Greek widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So there's a practical need and there's an injustice and an administrative breakdown, and it's being flagged and brought to the disciples' attention or the apostles' attention. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word in order to go fix this problem, in order to go serve tables. I mean, they had just gotten out of prison. They're, they're actively out there spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel. And then this thing comes up that's important. It can't be neglected. But they're like, well, we, we can't stop doing this thing in order to do this thing. So what are they going to do? And here's how the body takes shape. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, this interpreting the needs of these Hellenistic um, widows. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose, and it lists the people that they chose. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And it says the word of God continued to increase. So there's, it's punctuated by this sovereign uh, endorsement. The way that they solved this problem seemed good to all the people, but it seemed good to God too, and we know that because his word continued to increase, right? Um, it, it didn't diminish or they weren't thrown off, off mission. So in this text, we see deacons emerging as a distinct extension of apostolic ministry. You've got these folks, um, the, the 12, who are apostles, and they're doing apostolic things, and they can't do the rest of it. They can't reach all the needs of this growing, diversifying church. At Incarnation, we just recently appointed deacons, and that's one of the reasons that we wanted to spend a little time here in the scriptures to talk about this and why we're excited about it. In the ordinal, deacons are identified to do three things. They're identified to proclaim Christ at all times. That includes catechizing people. It includes caring for the doubting and the wandering. There's a pastoral component to people who are serving as deacons. They're to administer public worship. That means Sundays, but also finding folks who are infirmed who can't come to our Sunday gatherings this way. There's folks who are hospitalized or imprisoned, making sure that every member of the body can participate in worship. And so carrying communion to those folks and celebrating communion with those folks, visiting people, praying with people. But also the third thing is to interpret the needs of the poor to the church. It's interesting in this Acts passage, and I've wondered if even the word, that word interpret in the ordinal keys directly from this, because it was the Greek believers who were raising this complaint, and all the people who were appointed as deacons, those first deacons, were Greek. And so they're literally able to interpret this need to the church in Jerusalem. 
So there's this sinew, there's this cartilage between the apostles and the rest of the world, between the apostles and a diverse church that the, that the apostles can't necessarily directly connect with. And so the body forms and develops and takes on shape in order that all of Christ's priorities might be addressed and carried out and developed. The way that this passage closes in Acts gives us uh, an incredible amount of, it gives all of us an incredible amount of hope and vision for not just what's becoming of us as a local congregation, as, as the need has arisen for us to appoint deacons to do this work. We've grown to a place where Aubrey can't do all of this. Aubrey and an associate pastor and an executive director can't do all of this. As, as we grow and develop as a local church, naturally, the way Christ's ministry did, the way the church in Acts did, um, all the pieces weren't there the moment the church was planted. And here we are 11 years later in this moment where now we have another way to reach um, Harrisonburg. Listen to how this passage in Acts ends and think about how this might um, play out in our local community. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A great, that's a strange thing to put in there. Who in all of the New Testament is the most cynical, opposed to Jesus group of people you can think of? Who is it, if you were just to pick one group, who is bent against Jesus? Certainly there are individuals like Herod at the beginning of Matthew's gospel who just tried to kill him. But as a group, who is the most cynical, opposed group? It's the religious leaders, right? And, and as the religious community, the, the most cynical group that Luke could think of, to include here, because he has these summary statements, I think seven of them, throughout his, his um, book of Acts, where he talks about the word of God going forward, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. He kind of puts them in there as sorbet between heavy courses of a really fancy dinner, um, to, to kind of, okay, that, that all happened. He kind of closes this, this book off in sections that way, and punctuates it with these statements about the word going forward and continuing to expand. And he could have included the priests anywhere. The world is watching. The world is watching, and they can't see what we do in here. The world doesn't see what we do in here. They don't see how folks in children's ministry are loving and caring for our children. We don't even see that. They don't hear Lindy playing an instrument. They can't hear Aubrey preaching. They don't see how much we love each other over coffee and bagels and, and the camaraderie and the fellowship and the joy that we experience week after week. They don't see that. But the world is watching what the church does out there and how the church goes as a body and cares for people who are marginalized. And these priests saw that. 
The world is watching. And as a result of this thing, this way that the body developed, many of the priests became obedient to the word. Even the priests said, this Jesus, this Jesus who we, man, we were always on his back looking for ways to trip him up, looking for ways to diminish him or make him go away. I, I think God really did raise him and make him king. That's the word. The word is Jesus is the king. He's alive and he's the king. And many of the priests came into agreement with that and were compelled to believe it as they watched the church do what the church was now doing. As we consider where we are today, as we anticipate the annual celebration, and as we anticipate the future, the next year of our life together, there is so much exciting stuff happening that you're going to see this year because of our deacons. There are opportunities that you'll have because of our deacons to at least know, to have interpreted to you what's happening in Harrisonburg. And in some cases, maybe to join up with something or volunteer at least to pray for something that you didn't know about before because our deacons are out there interpreting the needs of the world to us as a local body. Also, though, this points to the fact that every member of Christ's body is playing a part in making him the fullness of, of being, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Whatever you sign up for tonight by way of volunteering for things, all of us have this opportunity to put our lives into this thing together and to grow up together. And now as deacons, even more opportunities are going to be folded up into that. Again, at least to pray and maybe to pray and also to serve. Finally, it's not just an opportunity for collective growth as we grow as a church and as we expand and fill up more of Harrisonburg with the kingdom of Christ. That's exciting. But there's a cool thing that happens in here too that shows what you can hope for and lean into individually. See, the, the apostles here said, it's not right for us to give up preaching the word in order to do this thing. And so they appointed these deacons. The very next passage, um, or a couple of passages, well, the very next passage, Stephen, one of the deacons, um, is preaching the word. A passage after that, another one of the deacons is ministering the gospel, preaching the gospel to an Ethiopian. They're preaching too. And then just a couple of chapters after this, Saul is ravaging the church, the whole church, Hellenistic people, Jewish people, new converts, old converts, apostles, whomever. The whole church is being ravaged together. And it's interesting, it's the verse right after that section in chapter 8. It says, and those who were scattered because of the persecution, the whole church is getting scattered because of the persecution, they went about preaching the word. So we're going to have opportunities to pray and volunteer, 
But as we belong here together, and as we're built up here together, Luke makes it plain that we're not just serving in a role that's in a container. We're being formed into people who, when we're out there, there's a proclaiming kind of way that we're living out there. There's all of us, not just the apostles, and not even just the apostles and deacons, but everyone who was scattered went about preaching the word. So if you're a teenager, and you sign up to be a helper in children's ministry, and you're making that part of your belonging, and part of your identity, and part of who you are to build up this body that exists in many different parts with many different gifts, when you go to school, or if you're homeschooled, when you're with extended family who don't know Jesus, or when you're with neighbors who don't know Jesus, you're going to be more of a proclaiming kind of person. So it's exciting as we consider what Christ is doing in us to develop us and grow us and form us to be more of the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray.